This is Muslim in Plain Sight. I'm Anissa Khalifa. And I'm Khadija Khalil. Join us as we look back at 20 years of the war on terror and how our world changed as we came of age. Hi, it's Anissa. For our final interview of the season, we were honored to speak with our brother Mansoor Adeifi, former Guantanamo detainee, coordinator for Cage's Guantanamo Project, and author. In his unforgettable, haunting memoir, Don't Forget Us Here, he recounts his 14 years of detention, torture, and resistance in the vile prison camps of Guantanamo. I don't think it's at all an understatement to say that everyone needs to read this book. In this interview, Mansoor tells us how his living nightmare started, how faith, art, and brotherhood sustained him, and how, amazingly, he's held on to both his sense of humor and his hope for the future. To our listeners and supporters, near and far, known and unknown, thank you for making this incredibly difficult but hugely rewarding project so meaningful. You may have noticed that this episode is a little later than usual. Khadija and I are a bit burnt out from the 8,000 other things we're each juggling in our real lives right now. So please listen, reflect, share this incredible conversation with your friends and family. The two of us are going to take a little break and reconvene after Eid for our final thoughts on the season. Please do send us your thoughts on the season during that time. We'd really love to incorporate them into our finale. You can email us at musliminplainsight at gmail.com or tweet at us at MIPSpod. Ramadan Mubarak, and we hope you all have a blessed Eid. And one last thing before we jump in, a heads up that this episode contains descriptions of violence and some strong language. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. That was a beautiful welcome for our listeners. Well, yes, yeah, that, this is how we, we used to, uh, when a brother came like to the block or came from interrogation or torture or visit, like we would sing for collectively in a block. Imagine hundred, like in the block, each block had like 48 brothers. Sometimes three blocks would sing collectively. It was like a thunder. It was the cars were like at us. Why are you so happy? I said, well, we are here. <laughs> and it was especially at that at that tough time, you know, it was really tough and hard when they like took the brothers for torture. So anyone, any 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 of the, of the brothers would leave the block, we would sing for him also. روح روح مع السلامة الله يزيدك أمن وسلامة روح روح مع السلامة الله يزيدك أمن وسلامة Sometimes the guards would either push the brother or sometimes they would start like dancing mm. So it was merciful from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have this kind of uh, attitude and uh, at that really hard <laughs> difficult time and place that made us make us who we are So now I can let you to start basically Bismillah. Bismillah. Thank you. So, firstly, wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you so much for joining us. 
it's truly an honor to have you on our podcast. Um, yeah. We've actually been wanting to invite you on since we started like planning this in August, but we were thinking like we need to read his book first. <laughs> you know, we didn't want to just bring you on without being prepared. And, you know, we just passed the 20th anniversary of the opening of Guantanamo Bay. So we thought this would be a good timing because I know you're sharing your story because, of course, like we need to shut this down and it's unbelievable that it's still open. So before we get into all of that, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hey, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. I am Mansour al a former Guantanamo detainee. And I am from Yemen, you know, the country of love and uh, happiness. One of the things that Khadija and I discussed, like, as we were preparing for this interview is just that, like, we're very passionate about, like, helping you share your story, whatever we can do, you know, with our small platform. But at the same time, like, we just want to talk about what you're comfortable talking about. So, you know, feel free to go into as much detail or as little detail, like, it's such a painful story, but at the same time, like, we're here for you, so. Okay, don't worry about painful. Leave the painful for me. Just enjoy yourself. Ask any questions. Focus on the things that matter, because I'm going to talk. I'm a very talkative person. Whenever you want to stop me, you stop me. So basically, yes. <laughs> okay. Another thing also that we didn't realize until, I guess, two hours ago when you tweeted this, is that today, the day that we're recording, is the day that 20 years ago you were sent to Camp X-Ray. Yeah, this, uh, this is my birthday at Guantanamo. <laughs> so, I mean, even more, like, the honor of being with you, with our brother today, that's really, yeah, my heart okay. is beating very fast. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that day with us? Yeah, basically, before we jump to that day, I would like to say something. I was only 18 years old when I left Yemen. I was like, Many like other kid, I grew up in a very uh, conservative family in a tribe society. Hmm. One family, but like had like different tribes. My father was the head of the tribe, and being the son of the head of the tribe, it is like you know very strict behavior, the way you behave, the way you talk, and so on. I <laughs> the first when like when I finished my uh, secondary school. We didn't have high school in my village, so I have to go to to the city with my aunt, with my aunt to live there and finish my high school. The first time I arrived at the city, it was like night, and when you come to the capital Sana'a, when we arrived, it was like you can see it's it's in the mountain. We come from Abu. It's like then uh, start you know uh, going down. Mm. The first time I took the glimpse of the lot of light. I was like, I was. I grabbed the 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 window. I was like, wow, whoa, whoa! Like, and everyone that can look at me is this first time. They said yes. Then like people just look at me and laugh. I didn't care because they were so beautiful in the village. We use only <laughs> those lantern. We, not, we didn't have electricity or running water mm. or nothing or TV. Nothing. It just you know, it's dark. It's dark. We we study and at night on the <clears throat> old uh, lantern. So when I get to the city, it was like, it's like a new world. When I arrived there, cars, people, buildings, a lot, a lot. Like even my mind couldn't even process what was going on there. When I arrived at my aunt, I wanted to go out to, 
<laughs> I was checking everything in the home. Mm. The kitchen, the toilet, the electricity, the everything. Right. I was like, Mansoor, calm down. I said, no, no, <laughs> just clink. <laughs> Because everything is different, isn't it? Every everything single is different thing. Everything different. also like, mm-hmm. even the TV, turn it off and on. The, um, my, my aunt like, let him, let, let him have his time. So <laughs> then when we went to the restaurant, I was talk, going to in the city, talking to everyone, going to the stores, asking, reading, like, oh, it was, it was so crazy. <laughs> it was a new world for you. Yes, it was like a new world and it was a beautiful world. At the same time, like when you come from village, you have this kind of like really innocent and uh, kind. And all you know that you live by your tribe code, you know, mm-hmm. honor, integrity, honesty, courage, sacrifice, love, respect, and so on. This is like, this, mm-hmm. this is who I was and who I am now. I finished my high school. I was like a very curious person. I learned, I, I used to study in high school, study also in Islamic Institute with the Sheikh Mubarakatullah and I worked in, I work with like the foreign student affair, helping the foreign student like in their issues, visa, passport, and so on. Then when I finished my high school, I wanted to study computer science. I was fascinated by the computer, computer guy. So I used to save money uh, when I, I start working some, some jobs and I used to save money to take, uh, I took one course in uh, computer with like those at that time, very old. I never went to the internet, just I went to sit in front of the, in the big computer, mm. you know, turn it off and on. And like, it's like magic. Yeah. This is what, yeah, this is what I want in my life. Like, it's your first time and mm-hmm. learning, spending a lot, lot of time, like my class and let's stay there. And the, the, the teacher was like, Mansoor, your time. I said, nobody is here. Mansoor, but like, I said, yes, a little, little, little more. I used to take the, the paper and memorize everything there. I didn't have the PC or laptop, so, mm. but it was like, this was one study. But in Yemen, as you know, at that time, we didn't have, <laughs> even till now, we didn't have some kind of like, our, our education system wasn't, wasn't like that developed. And there was only really one private college, they could like uh, the University of Science and Technology. It was very expensive. Mm. I couldn't afford it. So unless if your mother, uh, the prime minister and your father is the president, you can afford to study there. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, then Sheikh Mokbar, he wanted to write a book about the rise of uh, that time, about Al-Qaeda and Taliban and these issues to educate the new generation. He wanted to write a book about that. So I went to Afghanistan to do some kind of research for him. As you know, that I'm like, there is no Google, no Mr. Google, no Miss uh, Wikipedia, nothing. And uh, yeah, you have to do yourself. And mm-hmm. he couldn't travel. So we went there. Uh, he sent me with other person to do the research. We arrived in Afghanistan and we started doing our research. We have permission for, from our government, basically, because going to Afghanistan at that time, it was like, you know, it was trouble for the government and so on. So I stayed with the charity organization who actually, Saudi charity organization who was uh, doing some charity work in, in, uh, in Afghanistan, like uh, building some mosques or wells or schools or distribute some kind of logistics stuff for hospitals. Because, you know, Afghanistan was so damaged, subhanAllah, by the war. It's just so, so bad. And I started learning about that. Hey, <laughs> when I arrived in Afghanistan, <laughs> it was like arriving there, it was like going back for 500 or 600 years or even like more. The only thing that connected you to the presence was the moving cars crazy cars or motorcycles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Other than that, the building, the people, the behavior. So it was another world. 
there was no electricity, no media, no TVs, nothing, because the country was struggling. Mm-hmm. Nothing happened. We didn't, we didn't pay much attention to it because we heard the news that two airplanes flew into the building. Okay, why should I care? Even like I don't mm. know. I mean, it's okay. so far away. Yeah, it's not just that. I mean, your mind is not there. You are not there. You're different. In, you live in different period of time. Different. It just okay. Then the head of the church organization said, "We have to liquidate everything and leave." They get instructions from, from Saudi Arabia. Everything should be liquid. You should liquidate everything and leave. My friend who worked in the church organization said, "Masoor, this is our last trip to go to Qunduz uh, to deliver those the stuff. You know, there was like a lot of medicine, blankets, and logistic stuff, and this we're going to leave." In the road, we were ambushed by one of the world lord. <laughs> he wasn't interested in our car. We have like the charity, the, the charity cars were Toyota, really beautiful new blue car. And we were ambushed. Then they knew they knew the car because they always let charity come there and help everyone. And they, they know. So at the beginning, they said, okay, we're going to let you go. Then we were sold from one uh, world lord to another. He started, the second one started negotiating for ransom with the church organization, the head of the church organization. Then when America came to Afghanistan, they started through uh, in a pamphlet, what they call it, flyers, offering yeah. a large bounty of money. Mm-hmm. Anyone who bring any foreigners. So we were sold to the Americans. Now my journey began. So I was sold to the CIA, taken to the black site, where I spent around three months. I don't want to go down that dark tunnel, not now. So because it's not about that. I was tortured, accused to be in middle age uh, Egyptian, Al-Qaeda commander, Nanav insider, the general of 55th Brigade. Wow, 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 wow. Tortured 24 hours. You cannot sleep. They give you two hours sleep or three hours sleep, but in different timeline. No food. Every other day you have like, they put some rice in your mouth. Just crazy. I admit to everything. Like, yeah, I am whatever you want. Mm. Tortured. You cannot, you cannot. You would. Resist. You cannot. Of course. But yeah. the problem was, Giving the details, which I didn't have, you know, yeah, you can, I can, you can say whatever you want, but the the problem you cannot make something you didn't have basically. Mm. Anyway, then I was I was taken to prison, uh, Kandahar prison, and from there again the interrogation started again. <laughs> the first time I arrived, they took me to a tent. It was naked, of course. Sorry for this word, and they said you have to sign that you uh, on the paper that Americans have a right to kill you if you try to flee or escape. I said, what? I'm not going to side. Of course, I will try to escape. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we spent mm. like 45 minutes or an hour like trying to force me. I refused. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to sign. And they were beating me. They were like, we're going to clean your clothes. I said, no, I'm not going to sign. Mm. They, you know, put the pen like in my hand, like they sign it with this. I said, okay, that doesn't count. <laughs> so this is one of the crazy things I like. I always love, uh, see, uh, like remember it and laugh. It was hard, but it's just so stupid. I mean, then before we jump to Guantanamo, <clears throat> I would like to pause here for a second. Hmm. And, you know, we usually talk and focus on 9-11, Guantanamo, but we need to focus on something else. Why Guant- Why 9-11 happened in the first place? Why? And to understand this, we should look back to where the problem start. started in Afghanistan, 1980s, when the Soviet Union, Union, uh, Union invaded Afghanistan. At that time, you know, as Mujahideen fought against the Soviet Union, American helped 
yeah. because it was in their best interest. Help the Mujahideen, they helped the Saudi Arabia and other countries and the logistics. We, we know the story. Mm-hmm. So, the United States actually involved in Afghanistan since the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The 1990s, the Soviet Union you know, collapsed. So then Afghanistan went to indeed a civil war between the, uh, the warlords. Al-Qaeda emerged. Al-Qaeda migrated to Sudan, then back to Afghanistan. You know, the CIA, the Pakistani intelligence, the Saudi, the Egyptian, all were like torturing Al-Qaeda members, uh, kidnapping them, killing them, assassinating them. So the war was actually between one state and one man. Yeah. So to understand why 9-11 happened in the first place. 9-11 happened because as a result of the uh, the failure of American foreign policy, in simple words, mm. the conflict or the fight or whatever you call it started between Osama bin Laden and the you know, United States. They were uh, kidnapping and eliminating, assassinating his uh, friends, his brother, his commanders, whatever. And he started attacking them in different countries, you know, in, in Saudi Arabia, in Africa, and elsewhere, that led to 9-11, basically. Would you say that the invasion of Afghanistan after 9-11 was a political move or an emotional move? We're, we're going to get, to get to that. So basically, in the 1990s, when the Soviet Union uh, collapsed, many countries start calling for the disintegration also of the, of the NATO because it was created in the first place to counter the Soviet Union, right? Americans, they were looking for a new enemy. Because to keep, imagine if the NATO collapse, who is going to lose? Because Americans, imagine, millions will go back contractors. They lose their strategic uh, uh, places in different parts of the world. They will lose, they will lose a lot right. of places. They so, wouldn't have the reason to be there anymore. Yes, yeah. So basically what they did, they, they need to create some kind of enemy and threat to uh, create fear in people's hearts that make them, okay, we need you to stay. And the world, you know, all Muslims and non-Muslims, the whole world were witnessing the, the fight between the United States and Osama bin Laden, similar as that. And, you know, like we didn't hear the word terrorism. It, was, it didn't exist. So even when I was in Afghanistan, <laughs> when I was doing my research, Many the people who were in Afghanistan, they weren't Al Qaeda or Taliban. They were people who have a normal life, people who fled their country because there is a lot of injustice, oppression, as you know, in the Muslim countries and Arab countries. Some of the people who were lucky lived to the Europe, Canada, United States and lived their lives. Some of them they couldn't, they lived to Pakistan, Afghanistan, and so on. People actually Afghanistan was safe heaven to people for who fled injustice and torture in their own countries. I can't tell Qaeda members, I could say maximum, 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 let us say. 250. Yes. Wow. Not, not more than that. Trust me. So, but what American did, American, they have their, their own agenda. They wanted to be in Afghanistan. Why? Afghanistan is the gate to Central Asia. Before the invasion, Americans were negotiated with Taliban, with Mullah Muhammad, with Mullah Muhammad Umar, some kind like to build uh, oil pipe, pipeline, yeah, from Central Asia to, uh, to the sea. So basically, there's some kind of shame, but he refused. He said, because when you stop supporting uh, Zionists, we're going to negotiate. So, you know, also Afghanistan is one of the richest countries in the world. In terms of national resources, natural resources. resources. At the same time, country doesn't have any debt. Oh, okay. So uh-huh. also 
as just Trump said, yeah, Afghanistan is uh, we have they have like three trillion of uh, lithium, so they need a reason. They need a reason to invade that country to be there. So Osama bin Laden and Al Qaeda, Osama bin Laden against the United States, and there was also vacuum. They, the media, make it bigger and bigger. Qaeda. It wasn't as it, it, it seemed in the media basically. So nine eleven happened, and this gave them the golden chance and opportunity to go to Afghanistan. They were waiting for it. So what they did, American themselves, they misused and abused 9-11. As the sister asked the question, yeah, they needed that reason and that cause to punish all Muslims. And what they did, if you look, just if you, if you distance yourself and look what they did, they constructed the language. Mm -hmm. What they said, terrorism, war and terror, you know, uh, even George W. was like a corset war. Muslims live in those countries, and but now it's it's we are going to fight terrorism. Basically, it is war on Muslims. This is how the game started. They construct the language. When I say that, war on terror, war on Muslims, then they call enhanced interrogation technique, torture. They call kidnapping people, they call it rendition. Mm -hmm. It's kidnapping. So detainees, prisoner of war, they call them detainees. So it's started with the language to empty the world. Then they created the, the, some kind of realities. We are fighting against terrorism, bad people, we for peace, blah, blah, bullshit. Sorry for this word. Then they started legislating rules and laws to enforce those realities. And we become, as Muslims become victims. So. 9-11 was misused and abused. I mean, in short words. So it wasn't about justice invading. They, they took a chance to invade Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And if you look back, what they have achieved in Afghanistan? What's the, what's the purpose? You know, today, just today, Biden announced he's going, the, the frozen asset in Afghanistan, in, in the United States, he's going to take half it to the victim of 9-11. And have it will be humanitarian aid to Afghanis. It's like this. This such terrorism itself. So yeah, I mean, this is I'm mean, like before we jump to uh, to Guantanamo. I just want to give you guys like a little uh, background. So Americans launched one of the biggest military campaigns in their history to Afghanistan. They wanted to convince the people we brought, we we bring the worst of the worst to Guantanamo. Guantanamo was also created outside of the law, outside of the justice system. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Because it, they are terrorists. They have no rights. Anyone, as you know, the Congress, anyone who is suspected terrorism can be arrested, can be kidnapped, can be tortured, can be interrogated, regardless. So the men at Guantanamo, were they terrorists? Were they in the battlefield holding guns and shouting, oh, death to Americans? No, they weren't in the first place. You know, at Guantanamo, there was like around 800 uh, men from like 50 nationalities, over 20 languages spoken. The youngest was three, three months old. The oldest was 105 years old. All kind of people. You know, you have engineers, doctors, nurses, journalists. You have spies. You have uh, a team who was sent to assess in Osama bin Laden. You have me there. You have uh, all kind of people. You have chefs. You have mafias. You have... Because... Those men were brought from, from Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, United Arab Emirates, from Africa, from Mauritania, from Bosnia. They were taken, CIA 
was paying millions and millions and tens of millions of dollars to bring uh, uh, the people there. There's a lot of secrecy. When they brought the people there in an orange jumpsuit, hooded, chained, shackled, we brought the worst of the worst vicious killers, terrorists. Am I a terrorist, really? I don't know. <laughs> so basically, this is the introduction to uh, Guantanamo. And uh, we were surprised, like, we didn't know why we were there or when or until when or what was going to happen to us. It's like big question. There was like million question every face why we were here. <laughs> uh, because you, are, you want to destroy our country? What? I didn't care about your country. Yeah, you want like, you did 9-11. Look, <laughs> until 2010, I never watched what happened 9-11. Trust me. And yeah. I was accused to be 9-11 insider. This, this is me. Mm -hmm. I was tortured. I was interrogated hundreds or maybe thousands of times. So when I was brought to Guantanamo, I was brought as Al-Qaeda uh, commander, 9-11 insider, uh, the general of the, the 55th Arab Brigade. Wow. <laughs> you were Egyptian so, as well. Yes. You've yes. I'm like this kind of like money laundering, bombing in Nairobi Dar es Salaam. I was traveling. It was wow, 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 wow. Can I ask you if you think that this whole process of um, taking, you know, over the years, 800 people into detention in this way, do you see that as a cosmetic exercise on the part of the U.S. government or are they really that stupid? You know, they, they weren't stupid. They weren't stupid because, you know, stupidity, you know, when you accuse as a system, as politicals, a politician who run that country, uh, obviously they're not stupid. They have their own <clears throat> agenda and they want to send a message that they have no boundaries and they they would go as far as they as they want. They do not bind by any kind of law or agreement or treaty whatsoever. Because uh, you are not in their scope, you are not a human being. What I mean, those yeah. who created uh, Guantanamo and so on. Because when you talk about Guantanamo, uh, no law, no rules, no nothing applied to Guantanamo. Not the American Constitution, not uh, international law, not Geneva Convention, not Kubia law, not alien law, not uh, even like the devil law. <laughs> so devil's law. So. Basically, you have no rights. You have no rights to that place. And they set it up that way deliberately. Yes, of course. Very smartly. Yeah. So basically, they know if you if you, uh, if you went to the United States, you should have like go to the uh, justice system and so on. So the Guantanamo was created out of the uh, of the justice system, so they can be they can use it and present it to the, to, to the world as as they as they as they as they wish. And that what happened, you know. And actually, and this. People, this brings right. us to um, one of the questions that we wanted to ask you, which is, what do you see as the true purpose of Guantanamo? Because clearly it has become evident, I think, quite quickly that the majority of the prisoners knew nothing. And, you know, if you look at the numbers now, was it 86% of um, detainees were never charged with anything? And it's, it's, more, it's more than that's like more than like even 90 percent. Hmm. And not only that, you can clearly see that they weren't actually trying to find out the truth. Right. Like if you were trying to find the truth or investigate something, this is not what you would do. It's not procedure, right? It's no. Like, yeah. I mean, what do we talk about Guantanamo, guys? I mean, <laughs> being a Muslim, it was it was look, war and terror or we call it war of terror or war of Muslim, let us 
play rightly with words. Yeah. Because the target were who? Muslims. Of course. It has two sites, international sites, where they de- they deploy uh, military, army, drones, uh, assassination, killing, bombs, whatever. Then you have the domestic uh, side, which is targeting Muslim minorities within those countries. Being a Muslim, you will be harassed, you will be searched, you will be su- surveyed, you will be wherever you go. It is like, by default, after 9-11, every Muslim is a terrorist, by default. This, this is the way it is. And sometimes they make you feel that you, being a Muslim is like a crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially when I was talking to young people who either born after 9-11 or they were young they struggle you know some of them try to hide their identity because because the more evidently Muslim you yes. are the more criminal you appear when we talk about why this what they call a terrorism habit in the first place you know recently I watched a film called Jihad Rehab one of the American filmmakers it was really bad <laughs> I heard about that. Oh, my God. Okay. So basically, they focus on these people who were tortured in Guantanamo. They went to a rehab center in Saudi Arabia. They were forced to admit that they were, you know, uh, fighters and so on. So you forgot in the first place why, let us say, terrorism happened in the first place. You forget the invasion of Afghanistan to Iraq. This area is actually interrelated, interconnected. They have a lot of in common. Religion, faith, language tradition customs when you start messing around of course people will react and the environment will define the reaction as resistance whether you call it jihad you call it resistance you call it uh, whatever so every community the environment their their belief their religion their tradition their knowledge all that will contribute to the way they would react they will resist so you are attacking and invading those countries and you are accusing these people as terrorists. You are the one who created terrorism in the first place. So yeah. being a Muslim, being targeted outside or inside those uh, countries, as you, I'm sure like uh, our sisters being even more targeted, being hijab, not able to work, being called names, calling whatever. So yeah, this is kind of terrorism. I told you when they created the realities and they legislated the rules to uh, oppress Muslim minorities in those countries. So this is uh, this is the, the, where the tourism started. And also at the same time, those young generation who grew up being surveilled, being interrogated, being harassed, you know, they feel we want to go and live where we can feel free because they are being lived under this kind of like oppression by their own countries. Of what? What have they done? Because just being a Muslim, somebody is that. Yeah. 9-11 was used, and he's used to promote agendas, to oppress Muslims, to uh, to violate the basic of human, of, of those Muslims who live within uh, those countries. And I'm sure many of you, all of you, have encountered many, many violations, many harassment, many oppression within your within your uh, society, within your uh, community. Yeah. yeah. We, I mean, we've been talking about it with so many of our guests um, this season. For example, at Guantanamo, sometime I used to tell my brother, brother, I think Wallahi, we are lucky to be in that place. Because after 2010, when you, when, you, when you started watching the TV, we saw those drone assassination, eliminating villages, entire village, entire, entire families. Enti- I said, brothers, I think we are safe here. Alhamdulillah, we didn't have like missing limbs. 
and our family is safe, then destroy our houses because it, it was scary and people just don't see it because it's become, oh, take it for granted. Muslim killed, oh yeah, okay. so yeah. what, who cares? So, and as, as, as a Muslim, if you try to raise your voice, try to, to protest, you will view it as, oh, terrorist, terrorist. So it become like a word terrorism, it's, people scares people away. Yeah. Mm. Something that we keep talking about with our guests, you know, is that after 9-11, instead of truth, people were just looking for revenge, you know, Americans from the government side. And it was it was very emotional. It wasn't. Um, and it was under this guise of truth and justice, but there was no truth and justice in what they were doing. And for us as Muslims, like truth and justice, you know, you grow up and that's one of the most basic things that you learn from a very young age. I'm sure it was the same for you. Um, that's how it was for us as well. And those things are so, we are taught those come from Allah, like they're so important that if you're not working to expose the truth and fight for justice, then there's something wrong in your life. You're like your iman is not correct unless that's part of it, right? And yet, yeah. how did you deal with this environment where this was so twisted and it was so they were twisting reality in a way, like they were doing one thing to you and then they were claiming that they were doing the opposite, playing games with the truth and with justice. Like, how did you, how did you deal with that? You know, injustice creates destruction and peace can only achieve through justice. Justice is the balance of the universe. If mm. the balance of every individual, family, community, society, a country, Let's say, for example, one of us here, if you don't balance your life, sleeping, eating, balance emotions, balance your expenses, everything based on balance. And that means justice. Apply justice to your time, to your life, to your relationship, to your emotions. You can have a balanced life. But if you start messing, doing some injustice in your life, don't care about food, no exercise, no sleep, you know, don't care about others, that would create disaster in your life. That would have been, as a person, as a community, I said that when you started like tipping the balance of our uh, life, which is justice. Uh, it is the crucial, the most crucial, you know, balance to, to, the, to the whole universe. So what they do, they didn't care about justice to us. You know, they were, they, as you said, revenge of it. They have like other agendas, as you, they invaded Iraq, they, Used 9-11 to expand their military expansion in Africa, drone attacks, uh, you name it, you name it. But by the name of uh, war and terror or counterterrorism. Now, they make it a little shorter, you know, uh, extremist than uh, uh, political Islam. So the name keeps changing, but the agenda is the same. Targeting people, drone assassination, torturing, kidnapping, imprisoning, indefinite detention. Who? All Muslims. All Muslims. So basically, Muslims should stand. For me, when we were at Guantanamo, you know, as a young boy at that time, the world to me was right or wrong. This was what I was taught, this is what I know, and this is what I believe. So we started, everything doesn't make sense. We have to fight back, we have to resist. So we get beating, we get tortured, but that doesn't mean we can stop. Yeah, you can torture me, you get me, but at the same time, if you have the audacity, if you have the strength to beat me and torture me, you are in the wrong way. I should be more stronger. I should be. I should have more audacity 
to speak out because I believe that I'm, the right, I'm, I'm right. So at Guantanamo, you know, they tried always to make you feel that you are a terrorist, that you are a killer, that you are that bad person. person. Because imagine you were taken to a place totally disconnected from the world, totally, uh, flown over 40 hours, beating, stripping naked, things they can't even mention. And you just when they took your hold, being naked in this cage, I'm like, what? Am I dead? You know, what's going on here? Fans, bright light. We brought us to Guantanamo the things that, or the trait that make us who we are. For example, what make you as unique Anissa or Khadija, as a unique person? You know, the things that make you who you are is, are your faith, your belief, your ethics, your morals, your knowledge, your experience, your memories, your emotion, your relationship, your name. You know, this is your identity. This is who you are as a unique person. You are not that like slave or that like a shell or like physical body. No. So at Guantanamo, they tried to strip us of those and turn us into some something we weren't. They, even our names were taken away. It became a number. 441. Detainee 441. <laughs> so basically, it becomes become just an icing number there. And we, at the beginning, we struggled to understand. We didn't know where we were. We didn't know how to react because it was a lot of difficulties. In a place, it's not like Guantanamo was unique because it's not like any other prison because other prison, there is like systematic uh, prison, there is rules, there is uh, grounds, there is... But at Guantanamo, everything was new. Even, even the guards, they have problems how to deal with you. Some of them want to kill you, some of them want to beat you, some of them want to treat you okay, and you're just there. And to the world, you are just a bad person. You are the killer. You are the professional killer. Killer. <laughs> also, as, as uh, brothers and prisoners, we didn't know each other. We didn't have a shared life. Mm. Because how you connect to Khadija, she's your friend, she's your sister. You have something in common, knowledge, experience, mm. job, whatever. But at Guantanamo, <laughs> we didn't have even that. We were all Muslims, alhamdulillah. But we, we there is no shared life. It just that's, that's, that's the fact. And there is also fifty over fifty uh, nationalities, over twenty languages spoken. Mm. There was fear. All of mm. us when you saw like us at the first day, shaved, beating, swelling, uh, split lips, <laughs> uh, blue eyes, and like, "Assalamu alaikum, كيف حالك?" Like, oh, what? Afghanistan, Afghanistan. Assalamu alaikum. Yeah. Uh, Denmark, Germany, Pakistan, Iran, Saudi Arabia. You know, oh. when you speak of the people now, I feel like because I've read the book that I know who you're speaking about and they feel like people that we mutually know. The Dane, yeah. you know, and, yeah. you know, the people in your cell blocks and all of that. Yeah. There's so basically, something there. alhamdulillah, but subhanAllah, when I arrived after that long journey, all my concern, all I want, one thing, just to pray, pee, and go sleep. When I look at that, at this, subhanAllah, uh, I was talking to my brother, I said, subhanAllah, you know, it's, it is the blessing of the religion, the faith, because in the airplane, when they, when we, when they move us from Kandahar to uh, Guantanamo, you know, being hooded, goggles over our eyes, earmuffs, duct tape over <laughs> our mouth, 
and they have signed over my head, around my neck, beat me, okay. So it was like dancing all the way. So, and alhamdulillah, I was at that time just, my concern like, I just, I need, I don't want to miss my prayers. And some of the brothers, when they like either make adhan, they get beating or we get like kicking each other like, mm -hmm. just knows that like pray time. Hey, did you pray? Did you pray? <laughs> like, and because they, if you heard you talk, they will beat you. So we still like, this is the way how we like, didn't get each other to offer our prayers because we can afford to miss it. When I arrived, I was like confused because over 40 hours and I was like, no sleep, no eat, no drink and beating and cold and being in entire position. So I thought like, I'm going just need to pray. I arrived <laughs> and I wore my clothes then, you know, it was mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I wasn't thinking about the beating or the jail where <laughs> I, was, I was distracted. Just need to pray. And when you look at that, it was, it was blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Imagine you engage your mind in those what happened to you all the way. You cannot handle it. Yeah. Trust me, you can't. And there is, there is some prisoners or detainees who actually don't pray. They were in shock. They, they get mentally affected. Focus on something other than mm. that your situation it take you away. Yeah. Like when it's like, you know, when I arrived in like brothers, because we didn't use like without mustache, without beard, without mm. like, without even like eyebrow, without nothing, nothing. <laughs> like, uh, where's Mecca? Take me to Mecca, Mecca, Mecca. Shut up! Shut the fuck up! Oh, brother. So <laughs> there is a sea, and yeah, there's a sea here. So where are we? Bahrain, Oman. No, no, mm. India, India. Why come in the pool? Made in India. Oh, but where is Mecca? It's my night, it was bright light. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so they like, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Shut up, shut up. Oh, then the guards, FC team, they can beat me like, I was like, what's wrong with these people? I'm making just Adam to pray. I get beaten like it was a mess with the brothers bleeding. And anyway, we make like I then like Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. Leave the, 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 then to get like beating and stuff like that. So mm. pray and again I get beaten. It was like everything just respond with force. They want to tame you like basically. So we play in different <laughs> direction. <laughs> it was sad. Mm. So, Alhamdulillah, we prayed. Then I won't sleep. Then, <laughs> then. So this is just one of the most, uh, the, the, the first moment I share with you. At the beginning, we, we, we didn't try to, try to understand what's going, what was going on. And those people, they're just thinking about beating us, make revenge. To them, they were told this is the worst of the worst, they, the one who did 9-11. You've brought us exactly to the point that we want to be, which is, you've talked about how you were reduced to this ISN number. I mean, you always knew who you were. But how were you able to assert to the world, to the people who had made you into a number? How did you like officially claim who you were back? And how were you able to sort of emerge back into, I guess, documentation as Mansoor al-Daifi? Okay, first of all, alhamdulillah, I refused to play the role of victim. I was a victim, but I didn't accept to, to play the role of victim. Secondly, we stick to who we are. As I told you, the things that make you who you are, your belief, your faith, your, your morals, your ethics, whatever I mentioned before, your knowledge, your experience, and those are the things that help us to survive. 
the more you feed those traits, uh, the more you become like, they lift you up. So we struggle at the beginning, you know, because we totally disconnect from the world, new to each other, and uh, we refuse to give up or into the situation and to play into rule. Yeah, there was a time where they, they were extracting the worst of us, push you to, when you see like the things that you hold more, your religion, your holy book, the Quran, the being secreted, you cannot pray, your breath repeating, your genital search. I mean, uh, we have to fight back, we have to resist, we have to protest, whatever it takes. They will also find a way to control us, a way to provoke us, a way to, because when you live there, they know when they mess with the Quran, it's like everyone problem now. So, okay, now if, you, if we need to create a problem, we just do it. Mm. So that happened over and over again. By the end of 2002, when General uh, Jeffrey Miller arrived, General Jeffrey Miller, uh, Jeffrey Miller, I think uh, you all know him, the one who uh, tortured prisoners in, in, in Iraq yeah. and Abu Gharib, and he started at Guantanamo, and he's the first one who started constructing and uh, developing enhanced interrogation technique. So when he arrived, Guantanamo took a new turn, which is turned into a military lab. They were experimenting in Guantanamo because from a military perspective, we are going to go to war with terrorists for the next 50, 100 years. So we need to assemble to study how these people, what kind of people. So they started experimenting on the on us at Guantanamo. Interrogation, extract information, what makes you angry, what makes you happy, how to negotiate, how to talk, what, how you behave, and so on. And that until that day. And that was supervised by psychologists, by experts, by advisors, and so on because it was the perfect place. You have all kind of, we can say, uh, different Muslim countries, mm -hmm. different age categories, different mindset. So yeah, this is the perfect yeah. environment to conduct your studies. This is what Guantanamo. And let's be clear, because the, the CIA has a long history of doing experimentation on groups of people, whether they're, you know, twins that they separate forcibly from their parents, whether it's cohort studies of Danish children, uh, which is something you retweeted the other day, actually. They do have a long history of being extremely opportunistic about turning every possible situation into these sort of labs. Yeah, it's just disgusting. Yeah, I mean, it's not you for, like, it's not you for, for them. So as I told you, that's what Guantanamo turned into. Even if you just now Google, uh, Guantanamo report, City uh, Hill University. It's a whole report. Part of it is like uh, Guantanamo America's Battle Lab. It's like 84 pages. You read it, you can see how they turn Guantanamo into like experimenting lab. So I'm not just making up stuff. I'm talking mm, about yeah. those institutes who do the research reports. So living in Guantanamo, we went through stages. I'm talking about myself, you know, anger, hate, grudge, uh, fear. It's like stage by stage. And uh, I was just reacting, all of us, we just were reacting to what, whatever they threw at us. Because you are you were young, you didn't know what to expect, you didn't know how to behave, you didn't know, you didn't know, you didn't know these people. Like, you just react, react, keep react. And Alhamdulillah, as Muslims, we are, by our religion, instructed not to hold any grudge or hate because we believe that everyone in Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creation and 
but we don't love, we dislike the bad deeds. We didn't, we didn't, Alhamdulillah, we didn't hate people, we didn't hate Americans. Like, even the guard, you hate Americans, like, we didn't hate you. <laughs> because if we hate you, that means we have, a, we are uh, violating our own Islamic teaching because you are the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's it. Now, like, they didn't believe us. I said, we didn't hate you. And, alhamdulillah, our, our behavior at Guantanamo, many guards convert to Islam, male and females. As a human being, we, I went through stages, but alhamdulillah, I refused to imprison myself in those uh, kind of emotions. But uh, at the same time, I'm hurt, of course, because I'm a human being. And I learned a lot. Alhamdulillah, I found like uh, peaceful with myself. I made peaceful with Guantanamo because it was for me, if it is written by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, alhamdulillah, that as Muslim, and that killed him actually. <laughs> when we say, yeah, alhamdulillah. Your hand, your faith in my hand. Really? No. <laughs> and yeah. That was the one thing that they didn't have power over. Yeah, I mean, imagine they took Afghani guy who took us some time. You know, you are under our thumb. You control like, yeah, but Allah, Allah controls everything. Mm. Where is Allah? I mean, like, Allah is controlling you. One day, one, I already said that before. One of the interrogators, he came, we know who you are. Your file uh, is on the uh, our Mr. George Josh desk. You will never leave Guantanamo. Your fate seal. <laughs> For me, Alhamdulillah, as a Muslim, I'd like to study Aqidah and so on. I told him, okay. At that time, I was so young. I told him, you know what? Can I ask you a question? <laughs> if your, your George W. Bush get diarrhea, do you think he will be able to control his asshole? He said, no. I said, how he can control my life? <laughs> so... <laughs> what are you talking about? Like for him, this is social. I said, no, I just, everything in the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One day I had an uh, interrogator, he was threatening me. He wanted me to uh, to admit to some Al-Qaeda stuff, like whatever about Osama bin Laden and others. And he was making a lot, a lot of threats. And you are going to live here, you will die here, you'll, you know, he was, I mean, talking a lot of things. So <laughs> I, then I look at him, I wasn't talking, like for three days, he just shut my mouth, yes. And that they, they used to like beat us, strip us naked, cold water, what things. His, uh, his wife or his girl, whatever, they should tell me, I'm going to take, you, to take your ass to the United States, to make my slave, cut your hair, blah, blah, blah. It's like really big hair, crazy. And I looked at him, I said, I swear by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I swear I will leave here and you will see. Mm -hmm. I was like, I really said like strong and strong tone and voice. I was looking in his eyes. He was shocked and he told me, who's the fuck are you working for? Because the and conviction scares them, doesn't it? Yeah, and I told him, yeah, I told, honestly, I told him I work for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <laughs> I was punished for like three months in solitary confinement for that. You know, they tried also to test your belief. You know, sometimes they will bring interrogator and she will start unbutting her shirt. It was so stupid and so silly. I mean, we test your belief or sometimes, you know, they... Uh, they would uh, throw some, put like porn stuff on the wall or sometimes they would, uh, and like things I don't want to even talk about is like really disgusting and playing music or, you know, they, they try to like to break you. SubhanAllah, mm -hmm. when you feel that your faith being under attack, you, you stand to, pro to protect it, to fight for it and to hold to it more. Mm -hmm. SubhanAllah. I experience what means tawakkul, what means riba, what means, you know, being close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what means ibadah, what means dua. 
because nowadays there is no respect for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there is no people don't know what Who's because, because our because, listeners can't see you, I'm just going to describe what yeah, you I'm did. Yeah, like, let me say, okay, Bismillah. <laughs> I need a wife, I need the money, I need the bank, I need the... La, 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 la. Hey, brother, <laughs> please, please, hold your horses. You are talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know. And I, I start learning how to how to be disciplined with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when you need to ask something. <laughs> and like, even the way I pray, alhamdulillah, changed. You know, I used to pray, yeah, I pray, alhamdulillah, but when I sat with myself, Am I satisfied with this prayer? Whom I am standing before? You know? So, alhamdulillah, pray, fasting. When you pray now, you see the prayers, like slowly, like reciting also, ayah by ayah, know what are you saying? It's not just uh, something you're doing. it. So you start actually correcting your behavior, starting, because what alhamdulillah, our faith come to Organize a person and organize in the relationship with yourself, with your creator, with yourself, with your family, with your community, and with your environment. If you look at it, this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you live in this hardship, it really, you come, okay, now I need to do something properly. I need to do it in the right way. And alhamdulillah, I could feel at Guantanamo there was some kind of, you know, it was beyond our capabilities or abilities to survive or to be honest with you. I'm not gonna lie to you. It wasn't our strength or our smart. No, 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 no. It was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. There were, there was tranquility, uh, tranquility in every heart. Because now when I think uh-huh. about it, when I think about it, I say, how I spent seven years or eight years in solitary confinement? You know, sometimes we'll lie naked, no clothes. <laughs> we were laughing, so how are you look like? How we survive? It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm, I'm very grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Without him, I wouldn't be talking to you today. And yeah. as you see me today, I'm like, I'm a little crazy, I know, but in a good way. You know, you, you brought us back to the core of it, which is that it's really Allah that helps us to get through all of this. But after everything, you know, we know that we have the divine justice to look forward to in the akhirah, in the afterlife, inshallah. But what about, you know, after everything that you saw, have you completely lost faith in human systems of government? Like, is there any space in this corrupt system? Is there any space for us to still do good? Or is it just all corrupt? I would like to add one thing. First of all, <clears throat> at Guantanamo, subhanAllah, uh, hadith, I always remember that. You can translate that. وَاعْلَمْ أَنَّ الْأُمَّةِ لَوْ يَجْتَمِعُوا عَلَى أَنْ يَضُرُّوكَ بِشَيْءٍ لَنْ يَضُرُّوكَ إِلَّا بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ كَتَبَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكَ وَلَوْ يَجْتَمِعُوا عَلَى أَنْ يَنْفَعُوكَ بِشَيْءٍ لَنْ يَنْفَعُوكَ إِلَّا بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ كَتَبَهُ اللَّهُ لَكَ رَفِعَتِ الْأَقْلَامُ وَجَفَّتِ الصُّحُفُ Can you translate that, Khadija? I don't actually speak Arabic. This is the hadith. I think many people will recognize the hadith in translation, which is, this is the hadith about when every, if everyone got together and tried to benefit you, they cannot benefit you except with uh, Allah's permission. If anyone, if everyone came together to harm you, they couldn't harm you except with Allah's permission. And, you know, the, is it the um, pens have been lifted and the ink has dried? Yes. Oh my gosh. So basically, if you look at the hadith and put it there, 
I paraphrased I mean, it. It might not be exactly correctly worded, but no matter what, everything in Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. That's it. رفعت الغمجة في الصحف. I mean, just looking at that. And قل لا يصيبنا إلا ما كتب الله لنا. قل Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, say, then nothing will happen. Nothing will come to us unless Allah has written it. Simple as that, and mm. it's easy and simple. Just when you connect to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, knowing that. In this life, it's a test for all of us, Muslims and Muslims. It's a test. And sometime, one of the moments when I was in solitary confinement, I just reflect. I look, I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit on the moon now. And when I look down on earth, all, all I can see only a huge rock surrounded with a lot of water. Mm. This is earth. And there is gate in, on the right and gate on the left. Arrival gate, uh, gate and departure gate. Your mission to walk from that gate to that gate, and you are given a task. Yeah. This is life. Short mm. words. So rock, water, gate. So the task is to do good in this life. So uh, as uh, back to your question, have we lost? No, as Muslim, Alhamdulillah, uh, losing faith is it's not in our uh, faith. It's not in our dictionary. We always keep faith and hoping on working for you know to achieve. Justice to find justice, even if it doesn't exist, even the the corrupt doesn't exist. So Help each other. So yeah, I'm like Alhamdulillah. I at Guantanamo, being isolated, tortured, abused, and the way I always have hope. Alhamdulillah, I always believe that no matter what happened, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is there, and one day I will leave regardless. And uh, you know, uh, human being make mistakes and there is good people muslims and non-muslims there is good people always there are good people alhamdulillah we found guards at guantanamo you know some of the camps lawyers people who try to help you try people who try to people who get hurt because they help us they, they help us and not just prisoners of guantanamo were the victims of guantanamo also some of the guards some camp staffs people who try to cling to their humanity try they refuse to give into to the torture and the human, and they were they were punished. They were uh, they were also get uh, hurt. So, if you lose faith in the system, the system that we was created, we should work to to change it, because yeah. the one who change it in the first place are humans. So mm. we try to change it again to what mm. it should be. Mm. Like that is our work here, isn't it? Yes, that's the work. Yeah, I mean, like for the young, you know, for the young Muslims. First of all, don't don't ever be ashamed who you are. You know, you are uniquely that what who you are. Being a Muslim, being uh, what color, whatever, it's unique. Trust me, there is no one like you in this in this uh, in this planet. And there is there was and there is and there will never be one, will will never be someone like you. So you are going to live short time in this life. Do not spend your time in fear, hiding. No, live your life as free. Fight for what's right, what's just. Mm. Simple as that. It's not. It's not like a huge uh, chemical equation, physics. No, it's just simple. You know, that's what. It yeah, is. you know, one of the things that um, has struck me, sort of, in the experiences that we've had in our own communities, is that there's no point trying to win with them, because you will never be un-Muslim enough, you know, like you can't win by giving up your Islam because in mm -hmm. the end, the only person who loses is you. 
because yeah, you so don't I mean, get the thing that you're going for. You're you're not going to be allowed in to their world. You're not going to be acceptable enough. I mean, like as I told you, you have short life, and that if you start giving a part of you, you you will mm-hmm. always be incomplete, and as incomplete, nobody will accept you. So it's kind of hard, but be yourself. Tell them who you are. People will love you. People will accept you. People will respect you who you are. This is who I am. And also standing up for other people. I think that's something that I have also, again, in my own experiences, that people are afraid. Like if if it doesn't happen to them, they're like, okay, I'm okay. But they will see it happening to someone next to them. And they, and they may they, they it's not that they don't care, it's that they're afraid because if they say something, they're gonna come for them. Yeah, and but, this is like yeah, but you don't win. Yeah, what they do, this is also some kind of injustice because mm-hmm. keeping silence, it's another form of injustice, and also you are giving the mean and the tool to the oppressor to oppress you more. Right. Yeah. So like for example, at Guantanamo, some of us a little percentage choose to fight for the rest of the brothers. And alhamdulillah, we managed to stop a lot of the hardship, the torture and so on. But sometimes you just, you have to stand. You have to, you have to, because keeping silence while being your neighbor, regardless, Muslim and Muslim being mistreated, abused and so on, you know, speak out. Yeah. Say your words, even like a word. Because when you become familiar with the injustice, it's yeah, because this incites to it. You become like, it's okay to happen, that's fine. I don't care. But when you tell like this injustice, that shouldn't happen in the first place. At this point, I just want to share, this is a quote from your book that I copied out because I was so struck by it, which is, you write, keeping silent gives your oppressor the means to oppress you more. What I learned in Guantanamo is I will never keep silent. Yes, I will never keep yes. silent. <laughs> so, so I may ask being kicked over and over again, even after Guantanamo, but I will never give up because I don't know how to give up. I don't know. I just, I don't know. My giving up, I don't know. So at the same time, I know that the moment you keep silence, the pain seeing other suffer and struggle is just worse than anything. So at one time, I choose I can't because mm. I would take the pain, but seeing others get hurt and, 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 and I, cannot, I, cannot, I cannot bear it. Mm. So I'm not like, I'm not bragging here, but I mean, this is what should we do as humans, as Muslims and so on, you know? Because those people who do injustice, they believe in their mind they do the right thing. But yeah. you have to correct them and to stop them. Stop, you are wrong. But when people say, yeah, we are doing the right thing. Because, yeah, and people are like, yeah, cheer for them. And mm-hmm. Like, for example, our country is tyrant. You know, and people, the beloved, our president, and they're human being. Yeah, like, yeah, welcoming and love and flowers and cheers. And it gets worse, only worse and worse. Mm. Imagine that people, nobody will come them, nobody talk them, nobody just, they're like, yeah, I'm not loved. They need to change something. But when you give them, you give them the mean, the tool, you give them the the courage, you give them the, you know, you, and the WhatsApp will happen. Yeah. So as like, as Muslim being oppressed, start with your friends, with your sisters, with your, even, non, even with, with non-Muslims, because injustice, it's not bounded by religion or color or boundaries of ethnicities or language. No. Yeah, that's Injustice is injustice, you know. Are you ready to shift gears a little bit? Yeah, go ahead. Before we spoke with you, we watched, you know, several other interviews that you did, and you did a particularly good one with um, Amy Goodman 
on Democracy Now. And I see actually that you're wearing the same orange scarf today that you wore that day. And you told her that you wear that orange, the orange of your Guantanamo jumpsuit all the time. Can you tell us what that action means to you? Like, why do you do this? You know, <clears throat> being at Guantanamo, people like afraid. I don't want people to want was in Guantanamo. So basically I was at Guantanamo to show first solidarity with my brothers, to do some justice to that lovely color. <laughs> because see, as humans, that color is beautiful color. You know, all colors beautiful. But we make people like orange, just like that. Blah, blah. No, it's not the problem with the color, it's within us. Mm-hmm. Who said this color for criminals or terrorists or represent like terrorism or whatever? Nobody. Nobody has a right to has has a right to, to say that. So at the same time, Guantanamo was wrong, Guantanamo will be wrong at the same time. So yeah, I would like to tell the people I'm wearing this to show solidarity with my brothers there, to call for the closure of Guantanamo, and to tell the people this is I was at Guantanamo and Guantanamo was wrong. And I want to, uh, the government, uh, American government, especially George W. Bush, to look at it. Yeah, this is what you did. Remind them what you did. Because in their heart, they knew, they know what they did is wrong. Torturing mm-hmm. is wrong. Uh, indefinite detention is wrong. Claiming is wrong. If you try to shame yourself or to hide yourself, you are contributing to the to the stigma yourself. So I'm not ashamed. I tell people, yeah, I was in Guantanamo. Mm-hmm. My, I remember one of one of the psychologists, uh, ICRC, in ten, uh, ICRC, the International Committee of the Red Cross psychologist, oh. he came he went to visit us. Like, oh, I think when you leave Guantanamo, when you hear the number 44441, you'll be ah. I said, no, it is my number. I earn it. It's my number. I love it. So until that day, you can see my email, 441. <laughs> so my friend stops saying, like, no, this is my number. Like, I love it. I earn it. I paid 15 yeah. years for it. Yeah. You've reclaimed it mm-hmm. in a different way. Yeah. I mean, they use it. But I will continue to use it because I choose to. I'm not going to let them, yeah, I choose to use it. Like it's yours now. Yes. Not theirs. They use it like try to put you just a number. I'm not I'm not mm-hmm. just a number. Yeah, I'm a number, but I'm a man. I am a human. I am a Muslim. I am a, a being. I am a, I am a beautiful uh, cre- uh, creation. So, you know, the psychiatrist, when you see the orange color, you will be, I said, no, I love it. I have made peace with it. I told myself, I'm not going to leave Guantanamo twice. I'm not going to let Guantanamo change me. Of course, Guantanamo is part of my life. Guantanamo shaped my personality, my mind, my not, everything. But it is who I am now. Part Guant- Guantanamo is part of me, whether you like it or not. If you try to deny that part, you will deny yourself, part of yourself. So, alhamdulillah, that happened. But I will try to be positive about it, use it in the right way. That I'm doing now, activism. Fighting for the brothers of Guantanamo, fighting for the brothers uh, also Guantanamo, fighting for Muslim, for brothers in, in Turkestan, in, in 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 Palestine, elsewhere. I mean, this is our duty as human beings, as Muslims, and, and so on. Yeah, I I will try to channel my experience, my suffering into some to do something good for for the young generation like you guys. Aren't we the same age? We are the same age. <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> okay. That's, I think that was one of the things that was so powerful while I was reading your book is that we're very close in age, all three of us. Mm-hmm. And okay. to know that we were growing up, you know, over here and you were growing up, going through what you went through. Um, I don't know. I, f- I felt that in my heart. Yeah. I can tell you one of the dreams, subhanAllah. At Guantanamo in 2013, 
I went on hunger strike. I almost died. You know, literally, they they put me in. Uh, I was admitted to ACU. Uh, <laughs> I spent fifty-seven days only on water. One day, I was struggling between life and death. Literally, I I use I just pray. Sometimes I pray Maghrib and Isha sitting or sometimes laying on the floor because. I, I, I was drinking only water. I started even drinking water because protest it was crazy. One day, I was, oh Allah, please, if it's my time, is my, like, take my soul if it's my time. One night, I was, it was like after Isha, I just lay down my isomat on the floor there. Wallahi, that moment, I, I, I saw in my dream, uh, Maryam alayhi salam. She was sitting, there was, I was like laying, and there was like really thin water running there and she was sitting and she was making dua praying that the tears came down to the to the water i came i drank from the water and i immediately woke up wallahi wallahi i felt i feel like so healthy subhanallah mm. people like move i start like talking like wallah subhanahu put something in your heart strength and it can like hope so you are rewarded and no matter how you know, the Prophet ﷺ, he is the most beloved person to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He went through difficulties, hardship, was, you know, uh, ousted from Mecca, hurting his honor and his family. When he died, he was poisoned and, and, and so on. Why? The Prophet ﷺ is the, our example. That was going to happen to you. Yeah. Expect that. So you are being tested. Remember that. And you're being grounded. Remembering that being grounded, sometimes you need to remind yourself. Okay, it's reward. And nowadays, I, I, I struggle myself, especially when you live by yourself in a community, no friends around you, no family, nothing. I'm struggling a lot, but I know, you know, when I look at myself in the mirror, yeah, you are leaving one day. Sorry, guys, we drafted. Khadija, sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, this is so precious to me this time. And yeah. your words, subhanAllah. You know, one of the things that struck me continuously as I read your book and as you've been speaking now and you mentioned you know al shuyukh that we study including Ibn Taymiyyah and it was Ibn Taymiyyah who said you know what can my enemies do to me because my Jannah is with me wherever I go yeah you, you experienced that subhanAllah because I told you at Guantanamo all the brothers you know all of us felt it we felt there is something tranquility in our hearts all of us all of us it was calmness because mm-hmm. even the guards when when brothers sometimes when we pray especially Ramadan pray Traweeh or when they hear the Adhan the guards would come sit down and listen because when there's wow. uh, pray time five five times a day so all the movement has to stop in the camp because we we fought for years for it and mm-hmm. you can see the Adhan everywhere Adhan and Salah started here Salah started here Salah started here there was some subhanAllah Sakina there and one of the guards said I think we live in Islamic country I said, no, you're with Muslims. So, and, but it yeah, all belongs to Allah. Even yeah. Guantanamo belongs to Allah. Yeah, I mean, like one of the brothers yeah. said, uh, you know, we one of the brothers with the interrogator, he said the interrogators, yeah, we just kick your asses and we drag your asses here. No, the brother, no, no, he didn't bring us here because I think in this can, in this place, nobody Islam hasn't entered here. We come just to bring Islam to this country and to leave. And then to get like, <laughs> what? He said, yeah, see now, like Adhan and Druze and Quran, Islam, mashallah, tabarakallah. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> establish Sharia law, right? Yeah. So basically, <laughs> That's like, what they're afraid of the most. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, as we're talking about 
the things that you were able to take comfort in while you were there. I would really love to, we would love to hear about what place art had in that journey and like the art that you created while you were there. And then also the art that you and the brothers have created after leaving Guantanamo Bay. Can you tell us about that? You know, first, the, the most important art was the art of brotherhood and friendship, the art of being who you are. This is really important because without that, if you lose who you are, you will never, you'll never be able to produce anything. You become just a broken person, become just like a shell. So refusing to give up, sticking to who you are, you know, uh, holding to your belief, to your faith, to you, to your morals, to your ethics. This is how we manage to survive. We have each other, supporting each other, fighting each other, loving each other. Because alhamdulillah, where you come from, as as for me, I was taught, I have to, I should have mercy on my young, respect the elders, help the brothers. So we lived in solitary confinement for years and years. Uh, no books, no pens, no uh, materials. But alhamdulillah, many of the brothers managed to write the full Quran. MashaAllah, tabarakallah. I could see some of the brothers, they would, you know, they could go through the, the full Quran twice a day. Wow. So, yeah, um, some of the brothers. We struggle to know, do it once mashallah. in Ramadan. Yeah, so some of the brothers, mashallah, used to pray full Quran in one raka'ah all yeah. the time. And uh, I could see how people become so close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wallahi, sometime when brothers used to qiyam layl, the guards would come to four for one or call me through a speaker. Yes. Can you check in cell two eight? What's wrong? He said, he has been in sujood. Your brother been there for 40 minutes, 45 minutes. He has in standard, like he's okay, he's praying. No, if you refuse, I'm going to come in. So I would go to the brother, I just check on him, and the brother in sujood, mashallah, for 40, 45 minutes, just in sujood, in rukur, and so on. So when you're being close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is really satisfaction. There is some kind of, uh, you see, rida. I mean, alhamdulillah, ala kulli hal. When Allah gives permission, I will live here. So, uh, being able to become productive there, first of all, as I told you, we fought back, we resist, we protested, we went on hunger strike for years and years to stop the torture, to stop the interrogation, the mistreatment, the secretion of our religion. And, you know, even some of the guards, many of them respected us because, you know, this guy respect you because you, you fight for what's right. And yeah, what we what, what some of the guard did wrong, and we support you. Alhamdulillah, in 2010, when Mr. Uh, Obama failed to close the detention, we covered it to close the Guantanamo and took the black house. So we negotiated with them. <laughs> At the beginning of that, before that, they said we didn't negotiate with terrorists. Mm -hmm. In 2010, Alhamdulillah, we sat with in 2009, by the end of 2009, we sat with them and we negotiated, you know, because they found that we didn't close the detention. They relaxed the rules. They are smart. They didn't change the rules. They relaxed the rules. So we negotiate with them. We asked to have like, first of all, to stop the torture, the interrogation. We asked, we need to see some justice to our case. And we asked for family communication, phone calls with, the fam with our families, letters. Then we asked for TVs, newspaper, books, CDs. We asked for community living to live together, to pray together and so on, alhamdulillah. And we asked for classes, you know, either English classes, uh, life skills, or computer classes, or art. So when we ask about art, I said, you guys are terrorists, you didn't have to paint. I said, okay. And we asked the brothers to show them like some of the painting, like, what? Who did this? I said, some of the brothers. 
So Alhamdulillah, we managed to get uh, our teacher like demanding and asking, fighting back. It was like the golden age. Mm. And they were struck and they were shocked. They were surprised by the art we made. It was hard and difficult because going to art class, they made a lot, made it hard. Going to the art class twice a week, searches, searches. You, ha you didn't have enough time. You didn't have enough materials. Some of the paintings will take you one month, one, two weeks, three weeks, sometime a year because you have only 45 minutes twice a week or one hour. So Alhamdulillah, we managed to paint a lot of paintings. And, uh, you know, I, I started also writing on my, started my, I started learning English. <laughs> you know, when I started speaking English, one of the campus officers said, 441, we have enough you without speaking English. <laughs> Nobody speaking English, you can't drive us crazy. So yes, I started learning, we started learning, uh, I started learning English, alhamdulillah. I wrote my, my first book, it was taken in 2013. Oh, it was hard and difficult. They confiscated my first book in 2013. Oh. We're going to come back that, that later. Alhamdulillah, then my brother started, you know, start painting to think they miss most. But, you know, being in jail or being at Guantanamo or someone who entered jail, the more you stay, the more you are distanced from your previous life. From memories, from families, from emotion, from relationship, from everything. This is the fact. Yeah. So, uh, our brother start painting. We paint the thing we, because we kept in static confinement for so long. We are not allowed to look at the sky, the star, the sea, nothing. So, we started painting the sea, the tree, the sky, the moon. The thing we most, we, we uh, miss most. Also, at the same time, art was like a way of escaping being in Guantanamo. Escaping of that being like in prison because 15 or 10 years, so long, so long. And art connected to yourself, to your memories. Art was a way of survival at Guantanamo. You know, you mentioned that in your book um, that at a certain point they destroyed it and they took it away, um, which yeah, I can't even imagine. That must have been so difficult. Some camps were running by army and some by navy. Camp 6 was run by Navy. They were more, like, more friendly, relaxed rules. But when the army took over in 2012, they didn't like the little freedom we have. Because those guards or soldiers were in Afghanistan, Iraq, full of hate. Some of them like, you know, they think being in jail, you should suffer. You know, mm -hmm. they believe like their job to punish you. So... Uh, they didn't like it. They destroy everything. You know, we went on hunger strike first for almost like uh, over a month. Then they raided our the camp. They took everything. They confiscated everything. They stripped us naked, put us in orange jumpsuit again, and we started to the first to the zero point again, mm. again on hunger strike, again fight back over and over. It was tiring. I'm not gonna lie to you. It was really hard and difficult. But Alhamdulillah, we never gave up. You know, because giving up means yes basically so alhamdulillah we did as much as we can and we managed alhamdulillah and we had one of the most successful hunger strike in 2013 they took everything but we won and i told my brother sometime in order to win you have to lose everything you have to lose everything and that's this is winning and the, and we won alhamdulillah they took my draft they took the painting they destroyed many a lot of things if you read the book but it was only two years and we created even better, alhamdulillah. I wrote my book, they confiscate two draft. Wow. And I wrote another book in 2015. And uh, I wrote my, 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 my that book I wrote at Guantanamo. I used to go to the uh, classroom while it's and shackled to the floor. 
I write it as like legal letters to my lawyer. And every week I will send like yeah. a chunk of letters. Mm. So this is the way I managed to get my book out. And this is just our life. And there's like a huge gap in your life, like 15 years. Now I still like feel physically old, but mentally I'm just like 20, 20, 23. <laughs> Sorry. I feel like that too, brother. <laughs> yes. So basically. Even the rest of us are like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel Your maturity like just like, stops at It's like, you're not like, mature enough. You have like laughing. So it's like, you feel like, I said, so what? So what? What do you mean like to be like? Serious, like <laughs> I said that. I mean, this is just stupid. I am who I am. I'm like I like myself. Alhamdulillah, being a sen- because as you see now, like a sense of humor. Because at Guantanamo, all of us develop some kind of sense of humor, all of us, and it became like it became like one of my nature, yeah. laughing and you know uh, just. Well, if you if you take the thing seriously, you'll just destroy yourself. Yeah, yeah. If you take every single thing, every no, just take it easy. Easy because Alhamdulillah, we are giving every day new day, new time. You can see the sun, we are giving like day every day. That means start over, start over, start over, start over. You can start over and over. Continue. If you fail, start over. So you appreciate every single day in your life. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, this, this is part of our life being hard, difficulties, hardship, and, and so on. But that doesn't mean we have to focus on that. Just keep moving, be flexible. Do your things, do your priorities, praying, fasting, working on yourself, closing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, loving yourself, loving your family, your neighbors. And it's not the end of the world if you didn't get uh, your ice cream today or you, mm-hmm. didn't, you, like, you didn't get your new shoes or mm-hmm. you didn't find a new job. Tomorrow, there is to- always tomorrow, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So in 2016, they did let you out and here's you're the, actually the crazy thing. joining us something. from Serbia. Yeah. So basically, yeah, when, the, when they brought me to Guantanamo, <laughs> Al-Qaeda commander, Malabi insider, the, the, the general of the 55th Brigade, wow. Then I, I just reverse after 2010 and they changed of that. They said, no, 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 you are not that person. You know, you know, like, you know, we need to start over. I said, no, 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 no. I am Al-Qaeda commander. I am Malabi insider, Osama Radin, my friend. I am that bad. No, don't say that. <laughs> I said, what's wrong with you? You kicked my ass in the black side for the last 10 years. They told me, don't say that. I'm going to say that. They brought the psychologist, tried to convince me that I'm not that person anymore. They went to my brothers, like, talk to your forefront. Please tell him to stop because he is living in some kind of like uh, mental status. He delusional, uh, I don't know what that, like crazy phrases. I said, no, 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 no. I am that person now. You make me who I am. I'm not going to give up. I am a general. I am the half ranks. Everyone should listen to me. <laughs> so in the report they said it is actually unclear if he actually joined Al-Qaeda and none of Al-Qaeda members or Al-Qaeda leaders identify a member of Al-Qaeda I said okay what's it supposed to mean either you say he's Al-Qaeda or he's not Al-Qaeda no they said no we have to say something we cannot just say we detain an innocent man for 15 years well that's the root of it isn't it yeah, yeah. and this, this is what hurts most you know being knowing that you're an innocent and they tell you that he's like, they didn't want even to say sorry or to say, I, I didn't, honestly, I didn't need them to say sorry. I didn't, I didn't care if they say it or not. not that would change nothing. So, but <laughs> in the end, when I told him I want to be that person, no, 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 you cannot be that person. No, so no, I'm not, I'm that person. So just how it's just, Guantanamo is crazy. Yeah. It was, it was like a show experimenting on us and show to the world, you know. You know, George W. Bush, what, what, what he told his uh, people? 
You know, in 2002, one of the head, one of the CIA guys came, he wanted to recruit me. He brought my file and he brought a copy of the Quran and he started like writing and like, can, can I do that please? Have respect. He said, I started learning the Quran. And he told me, I am here today. You are going to see me only one time. And this is your gate to outside of Guantanamo. And he told me, I need to work for me. Wallahi, at that point, at that point, I wanted to throw up. Like, it, I felt like someone serve you the nastiest shit ever in a clamshell and like to eat it. I was respectful. I said, look, I cannot do that. It's against my, I cannot do this. Hypocrisy is, I guess, forbidden Islam and so on. And he said, okay. And I told him, but you know, I have done nothing. I'm not, I have done nothing wrong. He said, I know. But he told me, what I should tell the White House? He would do like, what should I tell the White House? What should I tell the, the Congress? We have only here teachers, charity workers, and scholars, and journalists. Where is Al-Qaeda? Where is Allahu Akbar? Where is Jihad? I said, I don't know, but I have nothing to do with that. Yeah, it's not your responsibility. To... No, he said, he told me, Allah, sister, he told me word by word. He said, look, every war have victims and constantly yours, you're, you're, one, you're yourself one of them. So... When he left the room, so disgusting. Like that. Yeah, when he left the room, <laughs> sorry for this word. I'm going to say it. So when he left the room, he opened the door. He looked at me. And he we were talking in broke. His his accent was so funny. I wanted to laugh. He said in Arabic, "Make nafsak," like <laughs> like fuck yourself. <laughs> I was like I was like I was like I want to laugh at the same time. Like it hurts a little because that man knew I was an innocent. But they don't care. Yeah. They don't care. They don't yeah. care. Because you're not they a never person cared. to them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I know. Like, alhamdulillah, we know. We know. You know, their perspective, they, they look at us. We were we, we are different. That means we are stupid. And so we are smart in our own way. It's not even that, though, is it? it we're less than animals to them. And that you have this um, a passage in your book where there's the, you know, the dog. where And, and these are the same stories that were coming out when they were withdrawn, when the American military was withdrawing from Afghanistan. They saved dogs before they saved, I mean, they didn't even try to save any Afghani people. But the fact that the dogs are more human to them than actual humans, human beings. Yeah. You know, when there's intikas and al-fitrah, you know, priorities in life, I like, I didn't mean saving dogs is wrong. No, it is as Muslims also. Yes, yeah, sorry, I didn't animals. mean to indicate but that either. At the same time, I know, I know, but at the same time, there is no appreciation or respect for human being. Like in Islam, killing an innocent person, you know, destroying a Kaaba stone by stone is easier than killing an innocent uh, soul. Every single soul has a value. For example, in our religion, I remember one day one of the guards kill an insect and the brothers ask him why you did it he said it's not your business I'm gonna splash him and it's like you shouldn't do that you shouldn't kill the, the insect it shows that if you kill unnecessary without any valid reason even insect you should be punished and you are you're committing a sin similar as that so we just wanted to say first of all congratulations on finishing your degree mashallah yes I am and... now I'm my second degree I'm, I'm studying master Oh, mashallah. So you're on your second degree. Now I study uh, master, I study project management and industrial four. Oh. So you, in your thesis for your bachelor's, you wrote about, you know, um, 
the sort of the reintegration of the men who are at Guantanamo into regular life. Yeah, it was like about rehabilitation and reintegration of former Guantanamo detainees into social life at the labor market. I have been like for years communicating with the brothers. We have WhatsApp groups. I look into some NGOs, other countries where the, where the uh, brothers managed to, you know, to integrate or become part of the society. Others where they couldn't, the reason, the challenges, the difficulties, the recommendations and so on, yeah. And now I work with CAGE as Guantanamo Project Coordinator, and we work on also helping uh, work on the closure of Guantanamo and helping the brothers after Guantanamo. And also now one of my projects here, Life After Guantanamo, is he? Say hi to sister. <laughs> yeah, so for our listeners, uh, Mansour is showing us this wall of post-it notes behind him. Can you tell us what those post-it notes are? Yeah, those notes are my uh, next book, inshallah, which is Life After Guantanamo. Oh. And uh, yeah, and uh, it is not just my story. It's all the brothers' story and the world that we miss so much. We need to see how it's changed, how it become crazy. And like, ya Allah, please stop the killing, the war. And like, it hurt a lot because mm. uh, after 15 years, Guantan, when you come out to see those atrocities, the killing, the wars, where humanity is going? Toward what? To what end? You know? It was fascinating how we become so advanced. Technology, science, space, medical, you know, it is so, so amazing. But we are losing our humanity. I mean, for the last yeah. 20 years, how many people killed? You know, we should be better than this. We should be loving each other and accepting each other. The problem it is within us. You know, it's within, our, within ourselves. You know, ignorance. Uh, greed, uh, selfishness, hate, garage, blindness. And this is the disease within us that shape our world. I'm sorry, you know? So, no, yeah. 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 Nothing will change until you change within you. The change started within you. Yeah, Allah yes. does not change the people until they change themselves. That's, that's a quote from the Quran. And sometimes, like, you know, I, I'm helpless. I, I wish I could do something, especially when I saw a lot of Muslims actually being targeted. Like, we can talk about the Uyghurs, the brothers in Syria, the brothers and sisters in Syria, the, you know, India, in Afghanistan, in Yemen. I need to help. I, wanted to, I, want, to, I want to help. I want to do something. I want to make it better. I wish if I could stop the injustice, you know, just... And, it hurts me a lot. It hurts me a lot, a lot. And uh, this is one of the things that every day I like, ask myself, where is my duty? What can, what can I do? Because I'm not that person who just, you know, I don't care. I cannot say that. Mm. I care a lot. I, I feel that as well. I think we all, you know, I feel that. I think there are a lot of people who are feeling this sense that there's so much that we need to do. There's so much work that needs to be done, right? And it's it's such a big job. It that... is, it is. And like sometimes you cannot, you didn't have the capacity or the emotions to react to everything. And yeah, sometimes like I feel guilty ignoring some of the stuff. Sometimes I feel like coward, which I don't like to feel that way. Sometimes I feel, I don't know, but I, I don't want to be like desensitized. Sometimes I feel like conflicted. Sometimes I feel like I'm not nowhere. I feel I like- I can understand that. It, like I try to identify who I am, you know, because you live in different world, different, you know, Allah make it easy for me. I don't have to express it to be honest with you. But 
I'm not losing hope. I, I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to make it easy for the brothers and sisters. And I will do whatever I can. You know, like Allah subhanahu wa but at the same time, I'm not doing enough. I can't say that, to be honest with you. So, yeah, and also we, um, we have another project, which is uh, audio story, you know, letters from Guantanamo, inshallah. I have another project, which is uh, we are working the TV show. It's not like the first stages. We work, we work in 2020, we, we went in the scholarship. Uh, we have like workshop with the Sundance, developing a TV show from Guantanamo with love, guys. Come on. <laughs> and uh, oh, please send us links for information about all of this so that we can share it and support I mean, it in whichever way we can. If you say Masoud Baibi Sundance, you can see me smiling very much. And uh, one of my projects now, inshallah, to stop that movie, uh, Jihad Rehab, to create, inshallah. And I have been working as, because, you know, some of them filmmakers, I'm sorry, Justine, subhanAllah, they lost their humanity, I'm sorry. And um, one of the movies, the film that came out, documentary film, Jihad, was really bad. And it's like extremely Islamophobic, and it touched us like as Guantanamo and as Muslims. So now we are working, inshallah, on stopping it, and inshallah we'll do. And uh, yeah, what questions do you have more? Well, we were talking about such big jobs that are left for us to do. But I mean, the biggest, the thing that must be looming the biggest for you, of course, has to be making sure that Guantanamo shuts down. It's been 20 years as of January 2022 since Guantanamo opened. In that time, it's seen four presidents the U.S. has imprisoned and tortured nearly 800 men. Despite Obama's executive order to shut it down, it remains open. What do you have to say to the people who have the power to shut it down, but still haven't? Hey, crazy guys, shut down Guantanamo. Now. <laughs> That's <laughs> a good message. There you are. So do it. Basically, Guantanamo now is the idea. We fight the idea of Guantanamo. When we fight for for the closure of Guantanamo, when we ask justice for Guantanamo, we are actually fighting for the American justice system that has been abused and used. You know, mm -hmm. if the people didn't abuse American justice system, Guantanamo didn't exist in the first place. That terrorist, they said he was the worst of the worst, now fighting for American justice system. First. Yeah. Secondly, there were worse places than Guantanamo, the black sites. Allah knows how many people were in the black sites, how many people died, thousands. And Guantanamo compared them as nothing, trust me. They didn't just torture us, Guantanamo. They torture us, they torture our families, and they destroy our life. Yes, our families, kids, wives, mothers, fathers, and so on. So Guantanamo now is a symbol of injustice, torture, uh, oppression, uh, lawlessness, abuse of power, indefinite detention, a death sentence for the people who stayed still there. Right, 39 people who are still incarcerated. Simply because, because we were Muslims. At the same time, that cowardness for Muslim uh, countries, I have no other word for it. Because they're looking after the other interests, which yeah, I mean, will always come before human life for them. Th that silence, that what, what keep Guantanamo happen. Guantanamo now is everywhere. And you look Egypt, United Arabs, Saudi, Syria, everywhere. Even like French... They had one of the political, one of the politicians months ago, he had the audacity. He said, we need to create, create to Guantanamo in French. Oh, targeting wow. Muslims. 
So basically, yes, that Guantanamo gives some kind of legitimacy. Guantanamo, like everywhere, it's the idea being accusing people of being a terrorist, kidnapping them, imprisoning them, indefinitely, torture, and so on. Mm. And it exists everywhere. So we are fighting the Guantanamo idea, that symbol that creates chaos around the world, targeting Muslims. You know, there's a strange irony in wanting to apply the actual American justice system to the prisoners in Guantanamo because, of course, the American justice system itself is so flawed and full of problems. But the fact is that even that is better than the nothing that you have in Guantanamo. You know, at Guantanamo in 2013, I had an argument one of the camp commander in 2012 when he came to take over the camp. He said, you guys have more rights than the president of the United States. You have P3, you have... uh, TVs, you have 20 hours left down. I said, look, cut your crap. Can you tell me why I'm here? What I have done? When you compare, before you compare, such person, you should know you are talking about people, about people who have rights, being committed some crime, serving a time. They have went to, they stood before justice. I was sentenced. So if you think we have done something, if you believe in your justice system, we are ready here. Guantanamo, as I told you, it's a ba- legally baseless uh, place. Imagine, let reverse. If those in Guantanamo were Americans, boys, or British kids, or French, wow, we would see a nuclear nukes flow mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah. And but, inshallah, one day there will be justice. Justice will prevail. For sure. And uh, alhamdulillah, you know, there is like around now, alhamdulillah, twenty uh, brothers have been created for release. And uh, 13 are still there. And I believe, inshallah, inshallah, the day uh, is coming. They will, they will be uh, released soon, inshallah, with Ma'azawajal. And we keep praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the least we can do. We keep the fighting for the closure of Guantanamo, bring the truth about what happened there. That's why I'm doing you now and trying to educate like people about Guantanamo and so on. Alhamdulillah, there's a lot of support. There's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, help from many people. What would you like to see that? facility become you know the way for example that Auschwitz as a concentration camp is now actually a memorial site it's a museum it's a reminder to people of what happened and why it should never happen do you have any thoughts in your mind about whether that site and at Guantanamo should be memorialized in this way or if it should be erased yes she should the yes face? I already told I already told them at Guantanamo, we should, you should keep that place. I will work as a tour guide there. I already, <laughs> I already I'm serious. I'm serious. Wallahi, I told him many, many times. I said, look, I will, I will come work here to work as like a tour guide, guys. As guide, that's what we did. That was like the guard, that one fight here and so on. Yeah, it should be kept. It should that be, actually it, would be incredible in yes. a very strange black kind of way. You know, this is this is the thing that came out so much in your book is, and I actually listened to the audio book, and my very first thought when the person who reads the book opens is, why is a woman reading it? And then immediately it's followed by your introduction <laughs> about why you chose a woman. Because everything is crazy. Everything is upside down. Nothing makes sense. So yes. this this was my experience with your book was that even though there was such harrowing and painful things, there was also so much kind of laughter in in it. Like I found myself laughing at, at so many points and the the narrator who reads the book, the laugh was in her voice as she read it. So it's and the same as we're talking to you now. 
when you laugh and you smile, it automatically makes me I laugh. wrote it. I wrote that book, <laughs> trust me. Yes. <laughs> Look, that not just, I lived it like second by second, day by day, night, year by year. Then I wrote it over and over again. Then like, yes, of course. <laughs> I'm really glad uh, that we managed to publish the book, Alhamdulillah. And I really Alhamdulillah. like appreciate the, uh, the support from the sisters and brothers, especially Honestly, I get a lot of support from the Sutton Brothers in the United States, in, uh, in, 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 in England. And Yuzakumullah Khair, it means a lot, a lot, a lot. And also, it, it, I intentionally tried not to put a lot of hardship or the torture. Like I said, yes, we need to put it just a little. And what I can say the book, it is really an important piece. It's the only piece that covered 15 years of Guantanamo. And uh, hey, can you talk to them, please? Okay, just a second. Yeah, when you're by yourself, you start talking to your staff. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, this is the draft of the book from Guantanamo. This is the... Oh my goodness. Yes. Oh, wow. That's a big stack of papers. Yeah. Is this what you wrote and sent to your lawyer? Yeah, this is like a copy of the, of the, of the letters. You can see here. Wow. Like you can see here. Approved for this the beautiful gist. cursive handwriting yeah. <laughs> that you learned from your Pakistani <laughs> teacher. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Mashallah. Wow. And, uh, this is the, the stamped, you know, like here also. Approved for, for one like approved. Yeah, for. You know, uh, one of the things I found myself thinking as I read this is for example, we especially in kind of Western societies. I'm sorry if that's not your favorite phrase, Anissa. But we read, okay. for example, like the Diary of Anne Frank as these kind of very foundational texts to the kind of um, crimes we never want to see committed. And I found myself thinking that a book like Don't Forget Us Here really belongs in curriculums. It should be taught. It should be read. And when I was thinking about how I would recommend, because I want everyone I know to read this book, but I can't say yes. you will enjoy it because you will not enjoy it, although you will laugh a lot. But it's something that... <laughs> Don't say you'll enjoy it. Say you'll enjoy no, no. it. They will enjoy it. it. Because sometimes there's like enjoyment in pain, not pain, enjoyment in... You made people live another realities, so like in a different way. So enjoyment. Yeah, I mean, it's... I, no, I wouldn't sorry, say enjoy. Like, we need to sell more copies. Don't scare the people, please. <laughs> no, no, no. What I would say, what I would say is... I'm kidding. It's you? a book that... <laughs> because I have a serious point. <laughs> what I would say is that it's a book that we owe it to you to read as our brother, yes. as somebody who's been through this, as people who did not go through what you went through. We owe it to you and all of our brothers who were with you and all of the brothers who didn't make it out and all of the brothers who went and sisters who went through the experience of black sites all of those who are shaheed now we owe it to you to yes go out and buy the book but to know your story to know what happened yes. there and to live our lives knowing the, these truths you know my, my when i started writing that book the original name was moments from guantanamo and I wanted to try it in a different way, different perspective, different angle. I, I never wanted to be about my story. I never even like wanted to mention myself there in the first place because I said, I said, I'm going to try something about us all. It's our book. I didn't call it my book. Then when I come to the, you know, to the profession of writing and in the writing world, you have to mention like, because this is the way it is. 
people want to know about your story, your background, blah, blah, blah. Like, and we spent like two months back. I was like, I don't want, you know? But now it's like it's necessary. You have to put there. You have to create some kind of like balance the emotion of the reader. You have to put some like line story that people can go as a thread. They can like stay connected to the story. It's not like mm-hmm. that because at one time I guess writing. But alhamdulillah, we managed really to get it down there. And it was tawfiq Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, alhamdulillah. It was like 500,000 words. And it should be like two, it should be two books because 15 years. So then we signed a contract with Hanshit really like with 80,000 words. <laughs> we submitted the first draft, I think maybe three, like 300,000, something like that. We freaked out. No, it's gone live, you know. Then we have to cut it down like 150. Then we have to fight into like 123 words. Oh. 120,000 uh, 120, words. Like if we just keep it, it's like we are going well, to ruin the that, book. That yeah. makes me regret the, was it 500K manuscript that we didn't see? Now that we know that, can you tell us a story, something that is, you know, hopeful and, and heartening that didn't make it into your final manuscript? Can we close with a story from there? I think, I don't know if we mentioned that, but I think one of the stories is like the beautiful Guantanamo. You know, I yeah. wrote just section, which like I extracted all the hardship, oh. everything. And I just present the really, this is the core of the beautiful Guantanamo. How 800 men arrived in a place, how that beautiful diversity, different culture, different background, and it actually melted, it's interacted first, melted, and it become like Guantanamo culture like friendship, love, friendship, uh, brotherhood, sacrifice with each other, supporting each other. I call it the beautiful Guantanamo. So this is one mm-hmm. of the stories they said, yeah, there is no place. It's going like, I said, okay. So basically sometimes like, you have to like this, you have to work with the writers and editors and so on. But we took, I extract all the hardship, all the torture, all the abuses, everything. It's just, it's just the beautiful Guantanamo is there. Mm-hmm. Thank you so, for sharing yeah. that. And uh, yeah, I mean, like, inshallah, I will send you more painting. I will send you some files and paintings. We, I actually saw some of the artwork um, online and it's really incredible. Yes, it's, it's beautiful. Just astonishing. Yeah, yeah I, I post every day I have because I have been working on the art organizing and uh, <clears throat> art, art exhibition in... Um, uh, alhamdulillah, we, we organized the first the first exhibition in New York in 2017. And the U.S. government, ah, this is the government belongs to government. We are going to burn the, burn the art at Guantanamo. People are like, what they should the art from terrorists and so on. Like, I said, okay, guys. Then we have, alhamdulillah, another art exhibition in uh, Coney University. Then we have another exhibition now in uh, Virginia in Old Dominion, Old Dominion University. And inshallah, we'll have another art exhibition in March in uh, in Chicago in DePaul University, then inshallah we are planning to create more art exhibition. One inshallah will be in England. I'm going to send you photos inshallah. You will look at this. Amazing. Time. Yes, please yeah. do share those, and we'll send those. We'll also share those with our listeners as well. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what we're going to ask you before we say salam is where can people find you and your work on the internet? Uh, like you can, I am on Twitter, Mansour Daifi, Facebook, Mansour Daifi, Instagram, Mansour Daifi, website, uh, www.mansourdaifi.com. And you can find me in Serbia, you're welcome to visit me at any time. Uh, what else? Where? And uh, yeah, I'm in Earth. 
and, <laughs> and alhamdulillah, I, I, I alhamdulillah. Post, because you you know even to be able to say that is is subhanallah that's a yeah. blessing so basically uh yeah and if you want to know more about art from guantanamo you can google just art from guantanamo.com i post every single day art from guantanamo and try to post, uh, just call, call for the closure of guantanamo can you tell us about the song that we're going to play at the end of this who yeah, that song sings it oh, and what we used to mean? we used to sing together for each other at Guantanamo. And sometimes in WhatsApp group, group, we also sing for each other now because we have like three WhatsApp groups. <laughs> and we made a lot of fun for each other, you know, and crazy anyway. And uh sometimes like when I when when I like every time when I call new brother or uh I sing for him the same song, like uh, روح روح مع السلامة الله يزيدك أمن وسلامة روح روح مع السلامة الله يزيدك أمن وسلامة sometimes we make it like in a tone that like intimidate the guards like provoke them <laughs> because Arabic scares them all Arabic scares them no like just imagine 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 a hundred or two hundred people sunk at the same time it's like it's like thunder really really And the interrogators mm. used to punish us because they think like it's challenging for interrogators. So Ruh Ruh Ma'as-Salama means go, go with peace, may Allah grant you peace and uh, safety. And Zakhmullah Khair, my sisters, uh, really uh, enjoy talking to you guys. And Zakhmullah uh, Khair, wa Allah yahfadkum. And please pray for the brothers and the sisters everywhere. Zakhmullah Khair to you for giving us your time, especially on a special day like this. And also yeah. I want to tell you that My grandfather's name is Mansoor. And wow. Okay. Some, my something father, my best regards. Well, he's returned to his maker. But okay. my father <laughs> named my brother the same name to honor my grandfather. So my brother is also called Mansoor. So is, you are my brother twice. Is he a troublemaker? He has been, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He's a big troublemaker. Okay. And... Um, I told my my mother that we were going to speak with you today and she was sending you her love and her salams. Yes, please send her my my love and salam to her. I love you so much for bringing this beautiful uh, uh, soul to this world. I mean, you. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, you know, mother is just a blessing to have mother around you. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And Anissa's mother is kind of the mother to us all. So, you know. Yeah. Till her next time we meet, inshallah. I want her to cook, to cook me like very good meal. I'm hungry. Oh, <laughs> I'm <that's>... kidding. <laughs> Seriously though, if you ever come to the United States, our home is your home. Oh, thank you so much, sister. You know, I think like we're not allowed to come to the United States because if we come, we will be able to show the government they want us to come there. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But I mean, you know, I can't I can't tell you how painful it is as an American Muslim to know like what our government you know, did not your to... Gu- look, first of all, I told all the people, Muslim and Muslim, it's not your fault, don't blame yourself because those gangs, George W. Bush and his species, I mean, they don't stand for representing Americans, to be honest with you. Alhamdulillah, and, um, if you ask all the brothers, wallahi, we don't have, we didn't feel hate or garage against Americans. I mean, Alhamdulillah, there is a lot of Americans who are actually supporting and fighting for the closure of Guantanamo. Actually, most of them are like, all of them are Americans. Lawyers, human, journalists, activists, and, and so on. Alhamdulillah, this is good uh, uh, everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's our job. If we don't fight for it, who else is going to do it? We have to make our government do it. Mm-hmm. And my regards to your families. 
and to the brothers and sisters, and I'm sorry for the bad words I said in this uh, interview. Please forgive me. <laughs> I don't sorry. think the situation could have taken anything less than those words. So where can people find us, Anissa, on the internet? You can find us on Twitter at MIPSPOD, M-I-P-S-P-O-D. And you can email us at muslim-in-plain-sight at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to our podcast at muslim-in-plain-sight.com. And our brother Mansoor Abdaifi, Jazakallah Khair for joining us today. It has been such an honor and a blessing to meet with you and to speak with you and to listen to your words. Please yes. keep us in your du'as. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.